Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. You join me in a conversation with Cynthia, also known as Cindy Shimalowski. Diagnosed with a relatively rare condition, she was suspicious that something was not quite right and followed her instincts by asking for an x-ray. About that, she says. I probably should have listened to that voice that said, Cindy, ask, how do you know it's degenerative disease? Could it be anything else? Maybe we should do x-rays. But, you know, I thought it was going to be rude, so I didn't do it. Thankfully, the relevant investigations were done, and Cindy is here to tell us her story. Cindy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm delighted that we are able to connect this evening. I want to go back in time to 2008, to the time before the diagnosis of the condition for which you now advocate. Can you tell me a little bit about what was going on in your life at that time? Actually, it was even before 2008. All this really started back in 2006 when I was experiencing this excruciating back pain. And I was a teacher at the time, and I I really just had a hard time standing up, moving around. And one of my colleagues said, you know what, you really have to take care of this. So when you have back pain, you go to an orthopedic doctor. And that's what I did. I went to an orthopedic doctor. I said, I have this pain in my back. It's really starting to get into my way of everyday living. And he asked me like to bend down, to touch my toes, to do this, do that. A brief exam and he quickly diagnosed me with degenerative disc disease. And he gave me some prescription medications to help with the pain and prescriptions for physical therapy. And so I, I thought that's what I had, you know. And back then I really, was brought up in that age of doctor knows best. So I just listened to the doctor. I really didn't ask too many questions. You know, he said I had degenerative disc disease. I said, okay, that's what I have. But with the pain medication and the physical therapy didn't get any better. And it it was progressively getting worse. And from 2006 to 2008, I had gone to the orthopedic doctor probably a dozen times. And I was starting to doubt myself, my pain tolerance. Maybe I wasn't doing the physical therapy the right way. I also had this little, a little voice in the back of my head saying, Cindy, why don't you ask him to take an x-ray of your back? Because for two years, there was no imaging done. And I thought that, well, maybe imaging should be done. But once again, I said, well, no, he knows what he's doing. I'm not going to say anything. Then finally, I I came in in tears. I told my doctor that I'm to the point where I have to have my class go on field trips with another teacher because I couldn't ride on the bus because my pain was so great. And he finally took an x-ray. And what blew my mind was the x-ray machine was in the next room. I didn't even have to go to a different building. And when he came back, the x-ray revealed I had several compression fat fractures in my back. And he asked if I was in a car accident or fell out of bed or had some kind of trauma. And I said no to all that. And we, he was a little perplexed and puzzled, but he said, well, we could get you out of this pain by doing this 
surgery called kyphoplasty surgery. So I was scheduled to have the surgery and part of the surgery, I had to have some blood work done for the anesthesia. And I had been remiss in going to that doctor every year. My daughter was in high school. We were running here, running there. So, you know, your health sometimes takes the back seat. I, I was fine, except for the back pain. When the blood work came back, it was very irregular. They wouldn't approve me for surgery. And they sent me to a hematologist. And when I got there, the sign said hematologist oncologist, which kind of took me back for a minute. And then I said, well, I'm here to see the hematologist, not the oncologist, you know, I guess they share an office. That's how naive I was at that point. I really had no dealings with cancer or the healthcare system. And then I went to see the hematologist and he looked at my blood work and I told him about my back pain. He said, did you have an MRI? I said, yes. And I was really, I was kind of like, why does he want to worry about my back pain? I thought he was going to worry about my anemia, you know? And he goes, where was the MRI? And he got a digital copy of it right there. He goes, I think I know what you have, but I need to run some more blood tests. He gave me a prescription. He looked at his watch. He said, oh, it's two o'clock. Um, LabCorp closes at three. If you go there now, you'll get your labs done and I could see you on Monday. And I, you know, looking back, I should have realized there was urgency there, but I, I, I didn't. I just, you're like, okay, I'll go there and I'll be back on Monday. You know, and it was 4th of July weekend. And yeah, and when I came back on Monday and my doctor, the hematologist didn't tell me what he was thinking. He didn't prepare me in any way. Which now looking back, I, I don't know if I wanted it or not, but because I wasn't prepared, I went back to the doctor by myself, not without my husband or anyone. And that's when he told me I had multiple myeloma, which was a blood cancer. And that's, that's how I got diagnosed with multiple myeloma after being misdiagnosed, I guess, for over two years and, you know. And in that time, I don't know if you're familiar with multiple myeloma, but it's a blood cancer. But it's a blood cancer that affects your bones. It, it, it kind of eats away at your bones and they have what's called the crab symptoms. C is for high calcium levels, R for renal insufficiency, A for anemia, and B for bone damage. And I really had all of them not knowing at that time, but in that two-year period waiting for my diagnosis, I lost three and a half inches in height due to the compression fractures. And every time I went back to that doctor, you know, the orthopedic doctor, I said I must have gone about a dozen times because the pain kept, was a new fracture now looking back. So, yeah, I probably should have listened to that voice that said, Cindy, ask, how do you know it's degenerative diff disease? Could it be anything else? Maybe we should do x-rays. But, you know, I thought I was going to be rude, so I didn't do it. You said something very interesting when you were talking about the hematologist. You said he didn't prepare me for the diagnosis. Do you think that patients like to be told what to expect? Or do you think that this was such a, a difficult diagnosis that 
it was better to try and explain it to you once he was certain that he knew what was going on. I, I don't know. I keep on going back to that moment, you know, like part of me, if he told me why he was going to do those blood tests and what was going on, my entire weekend would have been ruined. I would have not been able to sleep, you know, it, it would have been hard living with that uncertainty. So I, I had a great weekend. I had no uncertainty. I thought I was going to be going back and I was going to get some pills for anemia. The other part of me would have liked to have support, especially with that diagnosis. So I don't know at that point. It, it was hard because, I mean, he did ask, did you come alone? And I'm thinking, yeah, I came alone because you didn't tell me I should bring somebody with me. So I think in, the, in hindsight, he probably should have said, maybe you should bring someone with you when we go over this. We might have some explaining to do. It would be nice to have some support. I don't know. It's a hard question. No one is more of an expert on multiple myeloma than you are. You've lived with this for a long time. Now that you know what you know, what do you think you'd like to have known early on, say at that point or immediately afterwards? Because of course, the word cancer is terrifying. So it may well be that if they'd used that word, that would have created a whole lot of panic. They did use the word cancer. It was a blood. They did say I had a blood cancer. So obviously, when he was explaining things I to me about it, everything was going in one ear and out the other. I really couldn't concentrate on what he was saying. But you know what? I wish he would have done at that point. I wish he would have had prepared like here's a list of reputable foundations or organizations where you can gather information about this that's current and up to date. Because it took me a while to sift through the internet to figure out what was good and what wasn't. I did ask if he had anything when he was talking so quickly about multiple myeloma. I asked him, first of all, can you spell what I had? Because I didn't even know I've never heard of it, so I didn't even know how it was spelled. And when he said multiple myeloma, I said, well, is there a such thing as singular myeloma? Like, I, I didn't know if, you know, I, I just didn't know that. And I said, well, do you have anything to read? And he did have a book that he gave me. So at least in that book, it had some references of places to go to. But, you know, I, I wish he would have said... There's the International Myeloma Foundation. You could go to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Foundation. These are places where you could go to learn a little bit more if that's what you want to do. Because that leads to my life's work and what I'm doing now is I'm a teacher. And I know that knowledge empowers you. And empowered patients, I've read have better outcomes. And I, I know prior to that, I wasn't an empowered patient. I knew nothing about degenerative dis disease. I just blindly followed my doctor's orders about that. 
And I didn't want to relive that mistake that took two years for a diagnosis. I, I didn't want that to happen again. So I knew I needed to become a different person. In many ways, the world has changed because there are so many associations, patient groups that are there to support people with what are relatively rare conditions. And that has been your life's work. Do you want to say a little bit about that? How many patients have you had contact with in, in the last few years? I can't count how many patients. I had to retire from teaching because one of the treatments I had was a stem cell transplant. And a stem cell transplant is when they really do high-dose chemotherapy. They wipe out everything in your bone marrow. And they're hoping at that point, since it's a blood cancer, that they will also wipe out the myeloma. And then because it's such a high dose of chemotherapy, you would never survive unless you got stem cells back. And I got my own stem cells back. And, you know, for most people, the stem cell transplant is one of the best therapies that, especially back in 2008, that could get you into a remission. And unfortunately, my stem cell transplant did not put me into a remission. And because of that high-dose chemotherapy, my immune system was very much compromised. And being around a bunch of 10-year-olds, which I was a fifth-grade teacher, that's how old they are. They're kind of germ factories. And between having to continue trying to locate another treatment and being immunocompromised, that's when I retired from teaching. So, And then over time, I became better. I found a treatment combination that was working for me and it was putting me into a remission. And I was getting into a better mindset about my cancer journey, but I was then be feeling really depressed because I was young at the time. I was only 50, which I thought was young, for, especially I hadn't planned on retiring. All my friends were working and here I am sitting at home without a purpose. And that's when I just didn't know what I was going to do. And then it occurred to me that I could use social media to share all these things that I was learning about. So that way I could stay at home. I didn't have to go anywhere. I just needed a computer and it was free. So I started by starting a Twitter account and I became my Loma teacher on Twitter and I started gaining followers and I started sharing information about what I was learning. And more importantly, I started making connections on Twitter. I made connections with many of the myeloma specialists worldwide, with other patients, e even with, you know, researchers. And through those connections, the researchers were teaching me things in private messages so I could share. And I, I found out that Twitter was not the best place for the my myeloma community because for the most part, myeloma patients tend to be a little older. So they tend to be more on Facebook than on Twitter. So then I started bringing things I was finding and learning and conversations I was having from Twitter and back to Facebook. So I created another myeloma teacher account 
Facebook on Facebook and kind of started relaying information back and forth. Over time, um, I became involved in some advisory groups for pharmaceutical companies. I guess they saw my social media presence and reached out. And I made friends with another patient advocate, Jenny. And Jenny was starting a new foundation. At the time, it was called the Myeloma Crowd. Now it's, they kind of rebranded to the Health Tree Foundation. And one day we were at a meeting together and she looked at me and she said, I have this idea about creating this online curriculum for myeloma patients. And I think you would be the perfect person to be the director of that. And that was the birth of Health Tree University where now I get to use my teaching skills to plan a curriculum all around myeloma. So at first it was like, okay, how are we going to do this? And then we decided that it's going to be an online curriculum, but I will develop all the questions and all the content and organize it from myeloma basics all the way down to starting treatment, building your healthcare team, to learning about genetics and immunotherapy, like in different units, but there's no way I could teach those courses. So I have the myeloma specialist worldwide teaching those little mini courses. And I attend medical meetings to record these doctors answering my questions. And then we put, um, we put video animations to it and graphics and anything to make it learn. Because I know that when I was newly diagnosed, I couldn't read. Reading was hard. My mind would like, every time I started reading, my mind would wander here and there. So for me, a video was important. But I also know that some people aren't auditory learners. They can't, they, they might not be able to read, but they might not be able just to listen. So I knew that we had to have vision. We there had to be visuals there to capture attention. And now we've added transcripts so for people to follow along with transcripts. So that that's what I've been working on for the last couple of years. The internet allows us to reach people where those things were not possible. I'm sure there there've been many conversations you've had with people given the curriculum that you've developed, given the guidance that you're offering that highlights the key points in the journey when myeloma patients really need support. Where do you think those are? There's many places where you need support those touch points. I guess you need support in the very beginning when you're newly diagnosed. You, you, you need to know what is important. You, you need to know that you have to find a myeloma specialist and you need to know how to find a myeloma specialist and how to find those types of resources that you need from the very beginning. So that's a very that's a, that's a critical part right at that diagnosis. But some people who are diagnosed, especially if they're diagnosed with one of the precursor conditions like smoldering myeloma, sometimes they don't start treatment right away. So for that group of people, they need support when treatment is started. For people who start tr treatment right away, I guess the next time where they really need support is when that discussion of stem cell transplant comes up, whether or not to have one. And you really need to talk to others. You need to get more than one opinion because this is a really big thing. And I guess another time with support is if you relapse and 
myeloma is a disease of relapse and remission. You're never cured, at least as of now, although they're working on a cure, which is great. But right now, no doctor will tell you I've cured myeloma. They will say, we think we're curing a few people or some people, but we don't know exactly which ones and we don't know why, but we think that's happening because we have this group of people that never relapse. But for most part, myeloma is that disease of relapse and remission. And every time that you have a relapse, you need support. You need support both emotionally. You also need support onto how do you pick that next treatment option? What do you look at? How do you choose? Because thankfully, in the world of myeloma, we've had all these wonderful treatments come to market, especially here in the U.S. You know, since 2008, I, I don't know, we might have had 10 new treatments. Most of the treatments that are being used today weren't even around when I was diagnosed. So there are many options, but with many choices, then you need to know, am I ready, making the right choice? Which way should I go? So, you know, that's, that's another point when you need support. And I guess you need support to learn how to tell this to your children. Some people are younger, so how do you tell you have this incurable blood cancer to your children or to your family? So that's another area where support is needed. You're listening to the Health Design Podcast with the Journal of Health Design. You must have a favorite story, Cindy, uh, a story about a patient who reached out to you. Can you share any, any of those? Um tell you one that happened just recently and it it was a patient actually that didn't just reach out to me but reached out to a Facebook group that I'm part of and she lived in Norway and she was young patient out of options her local doctor told her you know enjoy this Christmas because you might not be able to see the next ones. And she was just so distraught. And because of my advocacy work, I had been over to Vienna for a big meeting. And when I was there, I interviewed a doctor from Norway. And when she wrote this, I happened to be at another international meeting in Atlanta, and that doctor was there. And I was able to connect that big myeloma specialist in Norway to this patient to at least talk about things. And like the doctor gave me his phone number and his email. And he said, you have this person, you know, contact me directly and we will see what we could do. If there's a clinical trial here, if I could point her in another direction. So, you know, that made me happy. I'm not quite sure where she is now. I think she's going for a CAR-T transplant from what I'm doing, but just to be able to make that connection because I knew the patient from a closed support group where doctors aren't part of or no one else is, but I also knew the doctor because of developing this health tree university curriculum, I get to talk to doctors worldwide to answer questions and make those connections. And I was able to bring the two of them together. That's a beautiful story, Cindy, because it illustrates so much of what you've talked about. Your reach is global. 
I'm sure that that person would have found it very difficult to get the kind of information locally that you were able to provide with that overview of what is available. And isn't it incredible that you're meeting a doctor from Norway when you're based in the US at a conference and then you're able to connect a patient from Norway to that doctor? It was just amazing. I met the doctor when I was in Vienna and I happened to be at a conference in Atlanta and that doctor happened to be there. At the same time, the patient was reaching out on Facebook. So yeah, it was miraculous that just all those pieces of the puzzle came together. But, you know, lots of times that's what happens. Um, I get private messages in Twitter from people. A lot of times people are in different parts of the world and they're asking for advice or help. Many times it's not the patient itself, but many times the patient's children because they're more savvy on Twitter. I I don't know how many times someone reached out and said, my mom or my dad was newly diagnosed. I saw you were on Twitter. I I have about over 8,000 followers, so I'm pretty influential on Twitter and just reaching out and can you point us in the right direction? We don't know what to do. And I always give them some information and try to connect them, you know, to resources that would help them. I, I never could give advice on what to do because I'm not a doctor, but I I could sh- definitely share resources. And with the Health Tree Foundation, we have like a myeloma specialist directory. We do have a very extensive directory for doctors in the United States, but we're beginning to build our directory for doctors worldwide. And if I don't know someone in a particular country, I can reach out to one of my doctor friends and ask who they would recommend. And I usually get an answer and I could share it with them. So yeah, the doctors know me and I know them. And the only reason that happened, it was through social media. I mean, I I think through that Twitter account, those conversations we had, we learned to, I've always respected the doctors, but I guess the doctors are learning to value the patients and seeing the patients for who they are. I mean, another doctor, it it was funny. um, I I attend lots of conferences, I, you know, and I, I was learning, actually, this was a conference on how to use social media effectively. And it was at the Mayo Clinic. And I tweeted out, I'm here at the Mayo Clinic learning about how to use social media. And then one of the big myeloma specialists worldwide tweeted back, are you here, here in Rochester, you know? I said, yes, I'm in Rochester. And he goes, well, can we meet? And now this is a doctor who I only knew through social media. And he's like one of the top 10 in the world. I said, of course we can meet. And we met actually in the doctor's lounge of Mayo Clinic. So here's this girl who was afraid to ask her doctor to take an x-ray of her back three years earlier. And now I'm sitting in the doctor's lounge of Mayo Clinic having this conversation with the myeloma myeloma doctor. And after our conversation, I asked him, I said, why are you spending so much time with me? I'm not your patient. Like, why? It just baffled me. 
because not only did he, we have that initial meeting, but he said, I'm not done with you. I have to see a patient, but I still want to talk more. So can we meet again? And he said, because if I educate you, I know then you will educate others that your reach is far. And we like educated patients because educated patients have better outcomes. Did you think in 2008 or 2006, when you started on this journey, that you would be leading such a change in the way that healthcare is delivered to patients with this condition, and indeed by corollary, many, many other chronic and rare conditions? No, I had no idea this was what was going to happen. Some people have this like little business plan. They say they're going to do this, they're going to do that and that, and this is going to be the end. I had no plan in mind. I, I just started this and one thing led to another and it led to another. And now it's just, yeah, it's amazing the connectivity of this entire world through social media. I mean, some people say bad things about Twitter and I know even Instagram these days is a way of sharing information and actually TikTok. There are people out there getting information out on TikTok. And yes, bad things can happen on social media, but so can good things. And there's no way I could have the reach I have without having the social network out there that connects us all worldwide. Cindy Shimalaski, your leadership and energy are an inspiration. You are changing the way healthcare is being delivered right across the world. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. The Health Design Podcast, sponsored by the Patient and Physician Advocacy Alliance. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.